Well, good morning. Make sure I got my mic on. There we go. Got to make sure all those things are in the right place. Hey, happy Labor Day. Happy goodbye summer. Hello, fall. I don't know what you call this weekend, but it's good to have you here. Happy maybe start of football season. I don't know. But uh, uh, so it's good to have you all here. I know that there's many that are taking time to celebrate a Labor Day weekend by being gone for that last, one last vacation away to be able to enjoy some things and, and do some stuff. But it's good to have you here. It's good to have you here worshiping with us, being with us today. And if this, if this is your first time with us, we welcome you. Love to get to know you. Love to be able to get to engage with you and help uh, you to feel more connected and at home here at E-Free. My name is Brian Klein. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're um, continuing with the wrap-up of this series, Simply Beautiful, and we've been talking about uh, various areas of, of what we are as a church and why we do what we do and why, what, what is the healthy way about going about growing in Christ and becoming the church that God in Christ desires for us to be. And uh, so before we get into that, can we just pause for a moment? I want to just pray and ask God's blessing to be upon um, us as we get into his word, allow his word to get into us and to stir us and to move us and to challenge us in our, our journey and walk. Father, we thank you. Thank you for each one that is here. Thank you that they're not here by accident. They're, they've taken the time to slow up and to be here today to worship, to get refocused, to maybe uh, just find the, the comfort and strength that they, they are looking for today. Thank you for those that have come in here and just maybe are visiting for the weekend or, or are looking for a place to, to call home, to a place to call a family, to be able to, to uh, journey in, in the life of, of Christ with. I just pray that you would just bless each and every one of us. I ask God that you would speak through me, that you would uh, uh, speak through these lips, that the words that would uh, come out of uh, these lips would be your words that the meditation of our heart, that our thoughts would be in tune to you, and that if we would be able to push everything else aside that screams at us every day, and that we get so busy trying to check off in our minds. But may we not check out today, but may we check in. And may we allow you, Holy Spirit, to stir us and, and move us. I pray that you would speak through me for the purpose of your kingdom and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, back when I was in high school, I went to a school in western Nebraska called Moral High School, okay? And uh, we were known as the Moral Lions, all right? And um, right next to us was a, a small community, uh, right, that was our arch rival. Um, and they were the Mitchell Tigers, okay? And then to go down a little further, and you'd head east a little further from Mitchell, and then there would be the bear cats. And so we had the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh, my. Um, but, um, but there was an arch rival between uh, us as moral lions and the Mitchell tigers. In fact, we as schools really didn't like each other too much at all. But when it came time to playing football or basketball or competing in track, there was this intense energy that would happen. 
And that there would be this, uh, the fan base would come out and there would be this, this just energy that would, that would occur, that everybody was just you know, ready for this competition to happen. Well, in my junior year, Mitchell had a very, very good team. We had a fair team. Not real good, but we had a fair team. And we were doing well. But when it came time to play Mitchell, all of a sudden our head coach, our basketball coach, decided that he wanted to scrap our whole uh, offensive strategy and everything, and he wanted to do something different for the game because Mitchell had a um, player who um, was averaging about 30 points a game. He was really good. And so the coach decided that he was going to uh, slow the game down, and we were going to, from the tip-off at the beginning of the game to the very end, that we were going to go into a stall game, okay? I don't know if you know what a stall game is, but it's really exhilarating. It's exciting, okay? And basically what you do is you're just kind of playing keep away, okay? It's kind of like, I got the ball, no... You know, and you're, you're passing, you're just trying to keep it away from your opponent. And you want to do as much, have as much time working the clock down before you even attempt to take a shot. So his whole strategy was, was to pass this ball around and dribble for a little bit and stand for a little bit and then pass the ball around and on and on. And that started from the very tip off all the way through the second half. And you could tell that the air was kind of just taken out of the auditorium. That all the fan base that was so energetic for this intense going back and forth type thing was kind of like, what is going on? And it didn't work too well. Okay, and so we were, we were behind pretty substantial, but every time we got the ball, the coach would say, now let's slow it down, slow it down. And so by the, the, the end of the, uh, getting close to the halftime there, we, there, was a, there was a timeout called because we were so winded from going into stall time. I'm just being facetious, okay? And so we were sitting there during, during the timeout time, and all of a sudden, as we were in the huddle and talking to the coach, I hear this song being played by the Mitchell High School pep band. And it was this. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. right. That's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Oh, brings back, but seriously, they played that song. The lions are sleeping tonight, but not only did the pep man play that song, but the student body started going into their own song, going, on our gym, our mighty gym, the lions sleep tonight. It just, you know, rose our morale, right? And we were, we were just totally def, just deflating, and, and needless to say, we got beat pretty handedly that night. And we took our showers, got on the bus, sitting in the back of the bus, and uh, Coach kind of jumps onto the bus with a bounce in his step, and we're all kind of like going, what in the world? We're ready for this 
big chew-out session, and he goes, hey, guys, I just want you to know, I know we lost the game, but the high score only scored 18 points. Good job. It was kind of, and the rest of us were kind of like going, really? That's what this was all about? That our whole objective was to keep the high score from getting his average? And we totally disbanded everything of who we are for that cause and for that purpose. So needless to say, that, that comment, uh, we didn't just lose the game that night. We as a team lost our identity. We as a team lost our identity. We lost our purpose. We lost our fight. And we lost our belief as a team. And from that point on, that year, there was nothing beautiful about that night. It, it so impacted me. I still remember it to this day, what that was like. And I remember the rest of the season that there was nothing beautiful about that because we, we really kind of lost who we were and what our purpose was for the rest of the season because basically we grasped that identity that the lions were asleep and we just kind of went through the motions of playing ball. You know, there's something beautiful about when we decide that we're not going to allow that which is before us dictate our identity of who we are within us, right? Yeah, they were the better team, and they had a better scorer, but we totally disbanded anything of who we were for the whole sake of trying to be and to keep them at bay and not to have the average that they normally would have. You see, today we're going to talk about what it means to advance. What does it mean for you and I to advance and no matter what else is out there, no matter how dominant the other opposition looks out there, no matter how dominant the world looks like its, its advantage is going out there and like it's winning and we can look at it ourselves and say, you know what, I think we're losing. So you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of pull back and I'm just going to take care of me. Don't we kind of get that way as a church? You kind of find yourself that way a little bit sometimes in your own spiritual walk. It's kind of like, no, I'm not going to engage with what's going out there. Out there. It's, going, it's going bad anyways. And, and, and you, know, you know what, I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm just going to live in my house and in my yard, in my neighborhood, go to my church, and I'm not going to do anything more than that. And we all go to sleep. The church goes to sleep. And it loses its incentive, it loses its purpose, it loses its calling, it loses its identity. And I'm telling you today that what I want to talk to you about is that to be followers of Christ, we, we have an identity that God wants us to enhance and to build in our lives. A follower of Christ serves for a kingdom cause, not for applause. We're about serving what God's kingdom cause is, not for our own personal applause. When 
a, a follower of Christ lives life to express what God is doing in their lives, not trying to impress. It's not about imp- trying to impress anybody. It's to, it's to let people know what it is. What is that hope that is within you? What is that joy that is within you? Well, we don't strive to make our presence noticed. But we strive to make the love of Christ felt. When people are around you, do they, after they're done, they say, wow, something was there. Something was, that was awesome. And I don't think it was just that person. It was, there was something that I felt. Dallas Willard said this in his book, The Renovation of the Heart. He says this, We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe it. We believe something when we act on it, knowing that it's true. That's the difference. That's the difference between a church that is stalling and kind of going through the sleepy motions of life or a church that says, you know what, God's word says it, I believe it, I'm going to act on it, I'm going to trust it, and I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to go for the cause of the kingdom, and I'm going to go to make a difference. That becomes something beautiful when the body of Christ starts functioning in that way. You see, the simply beautiful work of the kingdom is when the church doesn't run from darkness. It doesn't run from brokenness. It runs toward believing in the very act of what God wants to do in and through us to impact that darkness, to heal that brokenness, and to give that kind of hope and joy and purposefulness in a person's life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter is writing to a group of believers, Jewish believers, and they're going through a a persecution time. And and Peter is writing to these believers, they're they're kind of running from persecution. They're they're in exile. They they don't have a place called home. It just seems like the the world, the culture around them is just unraveling and, and everything is going against them. And so they are on this kind of journey um, and not having a place for themselves. And they soon began losing their identity because the pressure of the world was around them and, and they were trying to snuff out their belief system. And so they lost their identity. When they lost their identity, they started losing their sense of purpose. When they lost their sense of purpose, they lost their incentive for why they were doing what they were doing. And Paul and Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he starts talking to them about this. And and all of a sudden he says says to them in verse 9, he says, hey, listen, listen. But you are, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous 
light. You see, I'm sure that for you and for me, maybe we don't have so much the persecution that they were facing back in the day, where they were just kind of leaving to save their life, but we get, we get kind of filled up with a lot of busyness that all of a sudden we start losing our sense of identity of who we are. We start thinking that our life is all about that paycheck at the end, about paying for our mortgage payments and, and making sure we're getting caught up or maybe we're working two or three jobs and, and we're just trying to make ends meet and we, we get caught up into this, this uh, hamster wheel of life and we're running and running and running and running and we all of a sudden forget the whole sense of our identity of what our real purpose is in life. And what I want to say to you today in 1 Peter 2.9 is I want to remind each and every one of you that in Christ you are these things. That it's time for us to kind of stop sometimes and remind ourselves, why am I here? What is my purpose? And so what Peter was actually saying to, to those, those Jewish believers that were in exile, he was saying this, the giant in front of you is never bigger than the God that's inside you. Wow, that's something to really hold on to. When you start looking at what's happening throughout our country and throughout the world, it could be intimidating. It could be like, oh, Jesus, just come right now. I'm done. You know, I'm just done. Just come. Get me out of here. But what Peter is saying is, no, 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 that's not who you are. You're not one to to go into stall mode here. You're not the one to just, just kind of take care of yourself. You are a chosen people. That's what Peter said. He said, the God inside you is far bigger than the giants that are before you. So just remember that. The God inside you says, you're chosen. The God inside you says, I love you so much, I sent my son. I sent my son Jesus, my only son, to take on human flesh, to live and walk on this earth, to serve you, mankind, to show my love for you, to show you the goodness of God the Father. I sent my son because I choose to love you. I choose to love you in your mess. I choose to love you in your flaws, in your brokenness. I choose you. And I've chosen my son to die in your place at the cross. And he stretched his arms out and he put those nails in his arms and his feet and he, he sacrificed, he took the punishment of what we were so deserving. And God says, I choose to have you. I'm paying for it all. I paid for it all through my son Jesus. I'm paying for it all because I want you. I want you in my life. You are chosen. We all like to be chosen, don't we? We like to be chosen, at least for most things. Some things we don't like to be chosen for, like... I choose you to do the dishes. We don't really like to be chosen for that, but if, we're, if it's something to be placed in a grand position, in a place of honor and prestige, in a place of being able to say, wow, I belong to this? I'm chosen to belong to this? We want that. 
There's that inner desire in each and every one of us that want to belong to something, that we want to be chosen to be something bigger than what, what we ever expected ourselves to be. And God says, I chose you. I chose you. You're a chosen race. But not only are you a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood. I want you to think of that. God's, God's saying here, the God inside you is saying, you're royalty. Now, you may say, well, I don't feel much like royalty today. You don't know what I've been dealing with. You don't know the heartbreak that I've been facing. You don't know just the mundaneness of my life. I just feel like I'm barely surviving from day in and day out, and I'm barely making the bills, and I'm barely paying the things off. I'm working two to three jobs, and I'm just barely getting ahead. I don't really feel like royalty and what I want to say to you in that is keep on keeping on, but know that the giant before you is never bigger than the God that is inside you. The God that inside you says, you are my son. You belong to my kingdom, and therefore you, daughter, you, son, are my royalty. You belong to me. You belong to my kingdom. But not only are we royalty, but we're royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. That is amazing. Because when you think about the priesthood in the Old Testament, the priesthood's responsibility was to go into the temple, to go into the tabernacle, and to enter into the holy place, and then enter into the holy of holies, right? And the priest. The high priest at that time would go into the Holy of Holies and have this offering up to God of the sacrifices on behalf of the people, but also be able to get communication from God to represent God to the people. So this priest has access to God and is also has the responsibility to be represent God to the people that are looking for answers to life. And when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, something happened in the temple. That very curtain that separated mankind from entering into that holy of holies ripped from top to bottom. And what God is saying is, you now don't need to go through a certain person. You can come to me straight on because Jesus is taking care of it all. And you can come before my throne and you can be the priesthood for me. Listen, let me ask you, do you see yourself as a priesthood? Do you realize that you have full access to God in everything that you encounter in life? The burdens that you're encountering, the difficulties that you're encountering... The ability to be able to do the work of the ministry where you look to God and say, God, I need your help. And you can go enter into that very holy place because of what Jesus has done. God says, you're my priesthood. Man, I want you to know this. You're the priesthood of your family. You're the one that needs to go to access to God what you need to do to be able to lead your family well, and then you need to be able to be that representation of God to your kids and to your wife and to your family and to your neighborhood. Men, we are called to be the priesthood of our family. The royal priesthood. And when you embrace that, when you enhance your identity 
the grander vision of who you are, there's something that happens inside of us that wants to be able to rise up and to act upon that. So you're the royal priesthood. Ladies, you're the royal priesthood. When you're nurturing and loving on your kids and you're, you're preparing stuff at home and you're doing the things that you're doing, when you're even changing that dirty diaper and washing the clothes over and over again, you may not feel like royalty when you're doing that. But deep inside, Jesus says, you're my royalty, you're my priesthood. Now you spend accessing me and finding your identity in me and knowing who you are in me and then representing that as you're nurturing your children and as you're loving your husband, you become the best priesthood for your family that way as well. And when we do that, we advance the kingdom. We make the difference. But look what else he says. He says, you... You are a holy nation. A holy nation. God is basically saying everybody who has, has chosen to believe in Jesus Christ now represents a kingdom. A whole different nation. A whole different body of believers. This isn't our home. Because as believers we belong to the kingdom of God. And God says... That's a holy nation there. Church, you're my holy nation. The word holy means to separate. Doesn't mean necessarily that we retreat from the world. Doesn't necessarily mean that we say, you know what, I belong to God, therefore I cannot do what the, engage in the things of the world. I'm, I'm better than that. No, what it's basically saying is this. You don't avoid those that are not like you. You engage in the world and you give a separate meaning and a separate calling and a separate purpose for people to be able to grab a hold of. You become that light in the darkness. You become that fresh water to the thirsty. You become that salt in a world that needs salt these days. You are a holy nation. And when we as believers know that we are called to make a difference with where we are and who we are and where God has placed us, that sphere of influence, we make a difference for the kingdom. You know, we've lived in the same neighborhood for almost 20 years now, so we're kind of the oldies on the block, okay? When we were there, we were the fresh ones on the block, and so that, that was an area that, uh, in Kearney that was just being developed. And so when we moved in, we were kind of one of the few that were just the new beginning. But now it's developed around us. And we've seen, we've seen families come and go inside our block. And I always prayed that God would say, I said to God, God, I know that you placed us here for a reason. This is my mission field. 614 West 8th Street in surrounding community is an opportunity for me to engage in my neighbors. But God has called me up to a deeper purpose in these last years. Because you know, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to get out of your car, hit the lock button on your car, grab your bag, and head to the door as quick as possible, right? Unlock it, go in, maybe say hi, wave and go, whoop, slip right in. Right, have you ever done that? We all do that, don't we? 
And how can we make a kingdom influence when we don't engage? And so one, it was a few weeks ago, I was really exhausted. We had a big, big day going, and I was telling my wife, Lori, I said, Lori, you know, you know, honey, man, when we get home tonight, I'm just, I just don't want to do anything. I'm tired. I just don't want to do anything. I just want to veg. I want to get in my easy chair, watch a baseball game, be done for the day. So we get in, pull into the driveway, and I'm looking over, and I'm seeing a, a single mom across the street, and she's trying to start her mower. And I'm thinking, oh, poor thing. She can't get her mower started. Well, I hope it starts as I'm walking toward the door. And then I hear her in her frustration to express herself out loud, and I'm thinking, wow, she's really frustrated. Poor thing. And then God said, Brian, don't you dare walk into that door and shut that out. Seriously, that's what happened. So I, I decided, I said, you know what, I'm going to go over there and see what's going on, see if I can get it started for her. And what happened was when she was mowing, there was a shutoff valve, a, a water shutoff valve that was sticking out of the ground about this far. And she used to, she always mowed around it, but she got caught up in what she was doing. She mowed right into it. Bam! Busted up the blade underneath and everything else. And so I tipped the mower over and I said, well, it looks like you're not going to be able to use this tonight. And I took the pieces out and I said, well, you know what? And my wife was there and she's visiting with her and saying, um, and talking with her. And I'm taking the pieces apart. And I said, you know, I tell you what, you could sure use my mower. Can I? Yeah. Well, in the meantime, Lori's talking to her. She finds out that she severely sprained her ankle and could barely walk. So I go carting the mower over, going, out. I'll just get the mower, push it off to the side. I'm going to head into the room. I'm going to head into my easy chair, turn the baseball game on, be done with it. So I do, and I walk. I push the chair, the mower over there. I pull it. It started it, got it going for her. And, uh, and Lori whispers over to me, and she says, she severely sprained her ankle. I said, Yeah. And then God said, I want you to mow a yard for you, for her. Now, I'm not saying that to, to boast on myself or anything. Don't, don't, don't take it wrong, what I'm trying to share with you. But when, you're, when you understand that you're the priesthood in your neighborhood, when God gives you as a possession to make a difference with where you are, and you want to advance the neighborhood, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your comforts and be able to do and to serve those that need to be served. And I mowed her yard for her that night. And I sat down and I thought, wow, thank you, God, for the opportunity. Because years in the past, I would have just walked in the door. And I would have just peeked through the shade and said, did she get everything going, okay? You see, the end of verse 9 says this. We have all these titles. We, we have all these identities. And it says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, but now you are in his marvelous light. See, generosity is when we give away what God has first given to us. 
We still got caught in the cycle. We kind of get caught in the cycle of self-preservation. We get caught in the cycle of just kind of taking care of ourselves and just kind of zoning out. And we become stagnant when we do that. When we get so busy with our life that we don't think about how we can minister to others and how we can give our time to, to minister to others. And so when we're talking about generosity, we're talking about being able to not only give financially, but also to give of your time, to sacrifice your time, and to sacrifice your abilities and your skills to the sake of being able to be Christ to others. Gordon MacDonald says this, you have not lived until you have done something for someone who cannot repay you. Great giving is not determined by financial sums nearly as much as it's determined by personal sacrifice. Once that standard is used, the playing field becomes level between the rich and the poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says this, since you excel in so many ways, Paul's saying this to the believers, since you excel in so many ways, since you're gifted in so many ways of what you do in the areas of your faith, in the areas of, of a, being a speaker, in the area of your knowledge about something, and even in your enthusiasm, I want you to excel also in the, in the gracious act of giving those away. So what is it that you have? What is it that God's given you the wired and the abilities to do? And are you just honing that in for yourself? Or are you willing to give it away? You're enthusiastic about something? Are you willing to invest that for the kingdom and give it away? Are you interested in, in being involved in technology? Then you... Get involved in it and serve here or serve other places and give it away. You, you see what Cody did for that announcement? It's crazy. I never thought about doing that. But he uses his giftedness for the advancement of the kingdom to create interest in all of us so that we would say, you know what? I will go to the La 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 Life group. Right? Creative ways to try to get our attention to make a difference in someone's life. You see, we are not what we do. Listen, we are not what we do. We do what we are. And our identity determines our, our, our activity. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Paul describes that, that God has equipped us with prophets and, and, and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. You know, right now, your life right now is perfectly set up to get the results it's getting. Your life, what you're doing in your life right now, and if you say, oh, I'm not getting, you know, I'm not really feeling this freshness in my spiritual life, I feel like I'm just going through the motions where your life right now is being set up exactly perfectly for what it's getting. We need to ask ourselves this question. Is what I'm really doing being effective or am I just so busy making sure I check off my to-do list every day? 
I go to church, check. I go to life group, check. I go to work, check. I do this, check. And we get so busy checking it off that we forget that there's a greater, deeper calling and purpose that we are to be priesthoods. We need to slow down and show up. At the end of the day, of the work week, do you feel a lack of purpose in your life besides bringing home that paycheck? To equip simply means this. It simply means to prepare to supply the necessary items for a particular purpose. As pastors and teachers, we're to equip you. We're to, we're to prepare you with particular items to do a, accomplish a purpose. And, and you know what that means is this. You have a particular purpose. You have a reason why you're here. And what you need to do is turn to that person next to you right now and say to that person, you know what? You have a purpose. Go ahead, do that. You know what? Right up front here? You have a purpose. Some of you are all by yourself and you're trying to talk to yourself about it. But you have a particular purpose. You do. You can do things that I could never do. You have a way to advance the kingdom in ways that Adrian or myself or Kent or John Watson, we could never do, but you can. You can. And I love seeing this happen in the church. Adrian has put up this uh, diagram last week about the, the areas of a healthy growth in our spiritual life, where we spend time hearing the truth in the gospel, and that's what we do here. You gather together in a large group, and you hear truth, and you hear the gospel being preached, but you can't, that's just not enough, is it? That's not enough. You have to be able to get into community where you have life groups and you have individuals that you get together with in the week and be able to spend time talking to each other and investing in each other's life and praying for each other. But at, at that point, that, that is awesome. But then there has to be this mission piece where you find yourself doing something outside of yourself to make a difference in someone else's life. You know, I love seeing this happen within our church body. We aren't quite there yet, but we're progressing. Years ago, if there was someone from the community that would come on a Sunday morning and they were a transient person or just in the community and they've hit a hard spot in their life and they come walking into the doors, God draws them into, the, into here and someone engages with them and they say, well, I need, I'm needing some help. I'm needing uh, someone to pray with me. I'm needing some help with this or that. And years ago, it used to be that the person, anybody, anyone that would hear that say, oh, great, come with me. I want to introduce you to the pastor. And that's okay. I don't mind doing that. Neither does Adrian. But you know what has happened in the past years? As I've seen happen as people are engaging with, those, with, with individuals that are looking for uh, someone to be able to listen to their story and to care for them and love them. Now individuals are coming in and they're, not, they're, not, and they're, they're coming around them and they're saying, come with me. Let's go to the cafe and let me get you something. And I want to hear your story. I want to hear how I can care for you and how I can pray for you. 
what I can do to help you. You see, what the beauty of that is, it's beginning to now all of a sudden you become the ministers of the gospel. And you could do it far as effective as any one of us that stand up on this stage. Because you're hearing their story and you're loving them for where they are and you're caring enough to be able to walk alongside them. See, the beauty is that we're not being pastor dependent, but we're learning to be God dependent and embracing the fact that you are just as impactful at doing ministry as any pastor here. In fact, you are a pastor. You have the capacity to care and to love and to minister to people. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do it as good as a pastor. There's no qualification. You're a priesthood. Be God-dependent instead of pastor-dependent. I want to just wrap it up with this little story. A few Sundays ago, we had what we called a ministry expo, okay, at the church here. And if some of you were here, we had the tables, all kinds of different ministry opportunities that you could learn about how to get involved, right? Different areas. Well, I'm going to share this from the men's ministry perspective because that I got a men's leadership team, and it's been really beautiful to watch what God's been doing in my men's ministry leadership team. Not of anything that I have done, it's everything that God has been doing in their life. It was about the March of 2017 where all of a sudden that group of men decided on their own, they, they started texting each other and saying, on Sunday morning, we're going to start praying for the men of our church and our community. And so as they would come together, they'd worship with their wives. The next hour, they would uh, go off and they would either go into the cafe or go off into the corner or go into the office room and they would spend 15 to 20, maybe 30 minutes praying for God to awaken men's hearts to be able to pursue God and to, and to live for God, to be godly men. And as they started doing that, month, Sunday after Sunday, just praying for God to be an awakening within the church body of men, all of a sudden as they were praying, God started changing their hearts. It's kind of funny how that happens, you know. And then they start changing their hearts, and all of a sudden, uh, they said, you know what, it's not enough for us to sit in a room and pray about it. God's saying that we need to do something about it. And all of a sudden, one day, I get this text. And this text says this, men, I need some help. There are 100 guys that are looking to join Forge and need more information. There are 10 of us, and if we each reach 10, we should be good. And I'm reading this text, and I'm going, where did they get 100 names? Uh, did I miss something? I didn't send anything out about a hundred guys that we need to call and reach. What, what's going on? And, and about three minutes later, the next text comes up. It says, men, I just want you to know I don't have the phone numbers to call, but they attend E-Free every Sunday. I also don't have their names, but I know what they look like. It's the guy that sits next to you. It's the man you don't recognize. It's the husband with that blank look on his face. Sorry, guys, I'm not sure what they mean by that. And then he says this, you know the guy that you've seen month after month? 
even year after year and feel the awkwardness of thinking, you know what, we should kind of know each other by now. I recognize your face, but I don't know your name. I pray the Lord gives us boldness to meet other men. The same boldness as when he invaded this world to meet us. And when that text went out to the group of men, all of a sudden what I started seeing on Sunday morning, some of you men have been, probably been engaged by other men, that was all on their own. And on their own, they started meeting at various places in the lobby, and they just decided that they were going to reach out and talk to two or three men that they just don't know. Talk about getting out of your bubble, right? Talking about just forgetting about yourself and engaging in others. That's discipleship, people. That's discipleship. And so they did that. And on Expo Sunday, we had 90 cards printed up. And the week before, they said, Pastor, we want to have a meeting. Would you come to the meeting? I said, sure, I'll show up. And I showed up at the meeting. They said, this is what we're doing. Ministry Expo's coming. I thought they were going to talk about how they were going to decorate the table and all this other stuff. And they had a little bit of that. But then they said, okay, now listen. we got to strategize on how we could best impact men's lives that Sunday. And so... Here's, and they start drawing out on the whiteboard the lobby. Now, where's, where can we strategically place ourselves with the intent to give out every card and to engage in as many men as possible? And they did. Before the second service that Sunday, all of a sudden one of them come up to me, and I wasn't even doing it. I was over at another table serving in another table, and they came up to me and said, Pastor, we ran out of expo cards all 90 of them have been given away. What do we do? I said, well, you just keep talking to men. And they did. They had 75 names submitted to the drawings that we were giving away for different things. And I thought, wow, that was awesome. And then Monday I get a call from these guys and say, you know what? Wednesday at lunch, can we come to the, uh, Friday at lunch, can we come over our lunch hour? And we're going to compile all the lists of names of all these guys that submitted their names for the drying. And, and we're going to call. And we're going to get together. We're going to do a phone blitz. And we're going to call these guys. So four of these guys get together. And they break up all the names. And over the noon hour, they give a call for every name that they could find. Some had phone numbers. Some didn't. You may say, I submitted it. I didn't get a call. Well, I don't, I'm not sure what happened, if that happened. Okay. But then you see on the board that they had tally marks of who is interested in going to forge and who is interested involved in men in action. If you leave a voicemail, this is what you... See, that's intentionality. That's advancing the kingdom. Now, how many of you have the capacity to talk on the phone? Nobody else? Man, Verizon is really hurting. But you have the capacity to talk on the phone. And that's what Paul says, hey, will you excel in? Just invest it in the kingdom. If you love talking on the phone, get on the phone and start calling people and talking to people. And you invest in the kingdom and God shows up. Bill Hybo says this, there's a reason God made you and there's a reason God wired you the way he wired you. 
this is a, there is a larger faith calling that something important in this world will be left undone unless you put your hands to doing it. There's a grander vision on earth for your purpose here with your name on it. Do you know that? When you find it, pursue it. When you believe in it, act on it. And in a beautiful way, God will show up. And yet, as I have watched these last months, I stood back and I watched something beautiful happen in a group of men. And I'm going to watch and see something beautiful happen within the men of this church. Now, it's happening in the women's ministry as well. It's happening in storehouse. It's happening in the student ministry. There were four young people that come to know Jesus Christ for the first time last week. Amen? That's life transformation. That's the kingdom advancing. But it takes people being willing to say, I'm in. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do with the, the giftedness and the abilities that I have. God, just take it and use it. There's something beautiful that will unfold before you if you're willing to act upon it and let it unfold right before your eyes. Father, I just pray for each and every one of us here today. Lord, as we think about the advancing of your kingdom, what a privilege, what an honor, and what a humble feeling it is to know that you, you have wired us for the purpose of being able to embrace the bigger call of who you want to be in and through us. Pray that we would not let the giants define our identity, but that we would become men and women that do something beautiful through our generosity of our time, our efforts, and our abilities. In Christ's name.